Welcome, everybody, to the AJ Osborne Show, where we focus on our core tenets, impact, freedom, and progress. Join me and others as we grow through education and discussion. Welcome, everybody, to the AJ Osborne Podcast, and I am so excited for today's guest, a very, very special good friend of mine. Leica, how are you doing? Hey, Jay, it's always so good to sit down and talk to you. So I'm very excited. <laughs> you too. It has uh, been a crazy year. We were lucky enough to hang out now a couple times this year at different conferences, and um, it has just been busy. Oh my God. I know you can say that again. It's been one big roller coaster of a year has it's like it you know there's so much pent-up demand from the prior year right and places opening back up and everything else going on in the world and the economy it's just you know it, it it's been like i'm shocked first of all yeah. that we're sitting in november at this point like that blows my mind where did the last two years go like, yeah i don't know get it it's it's like a, it, i feel like i have a, a covid gap like, I'm always like, yeah. oh, yeah, well, we just did that, like, last year. And I'm like, AJ, that was two years ago. I'm like, years ago. oh, exactly. that's right. That prior year, a year ago, I didn't do anything. Everybody just sat around. Sat around? <laughs> I know. Exactly. Oh. Now, tell tell everybody, first of all, a little bit about yourself, um, uh, where you're at, and what you do. Sure. So, I am a local to Seattle. I invest in all kinds of real estate. I started investing in real estate back in 2014 and I started in fix and flip. And since then I've done over 50 single family home remodels. I've done, uh, and then mostly like really full gut remodels. So more involved and intense. Um, I also um, am part of my first syndication this year. I bought my first commercial building through my fix and flip career, I've done a few crazy things like additions and lots of divisions um, and then just conversions. Um, so just playing on a lot of different kinds of exit strategies. But it all began um, from my life in India. Um, I grew up in India, moved here in 2006. And back home in India, my granddad bought a bunch of real estate and always said, you know, if you have two cents invested in land. And that's kind of always stuck with me. And I kind of started this whole process. And now you came over here in 2006. And mm -hmm. when did you acquire your first property? In 2014. In so 2014. the first like, seven or eight years, I worked at Nordstrom Corporate in merchandise strategy. And so I, it had nothing to do with real estate. I had no real estate background. Just like, jump off a cliff and you know like it was crazy and it just at that time in 2014 you were just feeling it did you was it did you meet people do you know people that were doing it like how how did you break in you know i feel a lot of people are like you know oh i think about it or i may want to but they never make that move where you right. did you know i um literally it just fell in my lap i was um driving one day and I heard something about real estate investing on the radio. And so I started researching it and I was like, what is that? 
And that got me so intrigued. It's like, you know how you have a calling sometimes and you're just drawn to this one idea. Like I couldn't sleep. I couldn't eat. I couldn't drink. Like I just had to kind of dive into this and figure it out for myself. See if I even liked it. So I started researching it. I did a lot of education and uh, networked with a bunch of people in the Seattle market that were also investors. And I started to learn and like build a tribe. And I bought my first property it was such a miserable failure of a property because I went in thinking it was a 60k rehab ended up being 120k rehab and I learned so much through that process and I was like wow that was such a bad experience but I loved every second of it yeah and to like look back and like say that was a bad experience and I want to do it again I think that was really like, you know, my, my true calling. I was like, this is amazing. It's going to be fantastic. Once I take this experience and go actually build something positive with it. Now, were the, all your investments and you started out, were they all in your local area? Were they all in, around the Seattle market? Yeah, all in the Seattle market. Even to this day, I still invest in the Seattle market. Um, it's a booming market. Through COVID, we saw a 35% increase in our economy. Um, it is mostly funded by tech, you know, the Amazon, Microsoft, obviously Facebook, Google, we have a large presence of tech here. And so people have, and it's, you know, people have the money to spend on good real estate, on buying massive single family homes, which is why the market works, um, especially if you know what you're doing. Yeah, that, you know, first of all, flipping is an interesting world and business that uh, you got in. And one of the things that I love about it, particularly with first-time investors, is, is two things you mentioned. First of all, you really you, you really see the meat of it. Like you're you're right. in there, you're doing, you know, the way you did it. Like you rehabbing. I mean, it if you don't like it, right, and you're not gonna stick stick it out, it, it's you need to get out. Um right. and two it's a great way to generate capital. It's a great way to get your money moving and working for you, like building up um, right. uh, um, and expanding that investment capital and that investment base. Um, walk me through your deals that your first one you did, it was miserable, but you fell in love. Now, walk me through your second and third one. Were you able to execute on the process? Did it work out how you thought it was? Um, were they successes, failures? Yeah, um, it's funny. My next eight or 10 projects, I just kept making money and a lot of it. And each time I made money, it was more than the last time I made money. And so, you know, I just got really good at analyzing deals. I got good at fixing up properties. I knew where to spend the money. I knew how to find my contractors. Now, don't get me wrong. I still made a lot of mistakes along the way, but it was about learning on it and building on top of it. I got really good at one type of fix and flip. And that was just large full gut remodels. So engineering, structural, roofs, siding, like really we were taking, stripping down these turn of century homes and then rebuilding from scratch, like putting in rooms where there was no rooms before or bathrooms. And like, um, I mean, the before afters on these, these fixers is just like incredible. Um, and so what happened was like my, my profit margin just kept growing because I would touch the properties that no one else wanted to buy because of how uh, distressed they were. 
But also because of all that experience with building and construction, it made me start to look at my fix and flip in a different light almost. Um, I started looking at like, okay, I have this one house and it took me a lot to acquire this one property because there's no inventory. So how can I maximize the return on this one property? Can I build an addition? Can I dig out a basement? Can I add another floor? Um, what is, how can I produce more income from the same deal? Yeah. And that's kind of like what I started to, to focus on. I, I love that. And you, you know, as you're going through um, these deals, I am assuming that, you know, you mentioned you made more and more money as you went along, but I'm assuming that the reason you made more money was on, on two sides. First of all, you were able to control expenses and your underwriting, right? So you right. knew better what you were doing. So your underwriting got more proficient. But with that said, you probably understood what a good deal actually was when you were looking at them. Now you could identify the areas, like you said, oh, we could add a bedroom on here or we right. could add. And so it's those two sides that kind of came together, your underwriting and knowing the total expense, everything, what it was, yeah. and then the actual ability to find deals. And, you know, you bring up a really good point. The whole, like, finding deals is so important. Um, and it just, it has to stay with you throughout your investing career, whether you're looking for your next syndication, you're looking for your next commercial property, or your next asset class, you know. Um, I think it just goes back to how good are you at analyzing and finding. And what I realized was the more I grew my network, the more I took care of my network, the better deals I was seeing. Yes. Like I buy a lot of deals from our friend James. Yes. And what I did was instead of like, you know, just casting a wide net, I would go to some key people and say, I'm looking for my next deal. And they would then not blast out a deal to me with thousand other people on their buyers list. But they would call me and say, hey, we have this incredible deal and it's yours if you want it. And what that does is I know that this person wouldn't call me, A, if they didn't believe in the deal and B, if they didn't think I could get it done or if I didn't have a good relationship with them. So I just started to do even fewer deals than I did in my first two years flipping homes, but I started to generate way more income from just yeah. doing a couple of deals. You know, you hit on such an important point and I, I talk about this all the time you know at the end of the day this is a people game i don't care oh, yeah. you can boil it down to assets you can do and i think there's a large misconception that people think oh well you just buy an investment and you you got lucky or you're just going on the mls doing the exact same stuff that i'm doing but yeah. um you're luckier than i am or something and that's not how it works that's not yeah. even close to how it works mm -hmm. um this is a people game you have to cultivate um, relationships, you have to take care of people. And the people that are in the game, they play long-term games with long-term people. They don't mess around with people that don't know what they're doing, that are going to waste their time, that right. take them for granted, that, you know, we right. look at brokers and um, we work with just a handful of brokers, um, but we will always take, I, I actually had a deal that the seller, so the guy was going in foreclosure. It was a huge 160,000 square foot building. This was right after the Great Recession. And I'm on the phone, right, talking with this broker. He's like, he's going, the bank's taking the note. And so I'm like, all right, I'm going to start to look at it. I'm like, I want to buy this deal. And the broker's like, okay, you know, here, I can pass it on to you. But the owner that's in um, foreclosure, um, or in short sell, he doesn't, he will not work with brokers. He won't do it. 
And so he's like, so here it is, you know, go for it. And so I ran down to the guy that was um, getting short sold. I went down to his office. I sat with him. I, I did everything, wow. right? We ended up buying the deal and we turned around and paid the broker. So we paid him and said, you brought this to us. You weren't involved in anything else like that, but you still need to get paid. That broker brought us 10 other off-market deals after that point. Oh my God, I love that. And I and I always preach this too. I'm like, take care of your people because then your people will take care of you. Yes, exactly. And it, people step over dollars to pick up dimes. And that's just not a long-term strategy. And I don't, if you're in real estate, if you're investing, this is long-term. Yeah. It's all a long-term strategy. And you have to be building. And I, I think, you know, one of the things that you talked about that you do really good on, you know, well, the first one didn't really work, but the second one, it got better. It got better. It got better. That is the nature of building business, entrepreneurship, right. or investing. It, it's this idea of scale, right? And you cannot right. scale unless you have long-term yeah. people and long-term abilities. So what you get out on your 10th deal is 10 times what you get on your first deal. And so it's, you make more money, you do more and everything all included. And now you're not doing nearly as many flips and stuff. Now talk about what you're doing now. Now I have, so I built up this like pipeline for my fix and fit business, which is so, um, I think just well-managed and self-managed that I don't have to be in the business as much. Um, so I have a steady deal flow where you know people send me deals every day and they're all amazing deals and I have to say no to four out of the five good deals that I see. Um, and so my deal flow is spectacular. Then I also have a contracting team and a full like uh, builder team that takes care of all my flips. They know how I like it done. They know what I like done. I still pick all my trim just because I like to and I want to, not because I have to. It's just like my creative outlet. Yeah. Um, but my funding is all set up. And so it's like a part of the business that I'm not, that I don't need to be in at all. Like I maybe spend two hours a week, generates massive amount of income. So I can then go do some really fun things like buy, I bought a seven unit office building in downtown Seattle, like mm -hmm. prime location. I have no experience, prior experience with office, but I can play in that area because I just have really good cash flow coming out of my fix and flip business that I spent years building. Um, I am also looking for my next syndication. In fact, we're under contract on two different uh, multifamilies, again, in like a hot, hot market in Seattle. Um, and so, you know, it's just really cool to go out and do these things. I'm super, I'm still super interested in self storage. And one day I'm going to be like, mm -hmm. AJ, I have this amazing deal. Like, what do we do now? You We're going to get it. We're going to get it. Right. So I can go and play and like, you know, do fun things with my time. Um, and that's what building the, the first few years enabled me to do. You know, I, it, it's such a cool trajectory, everything that you've obviously done bit on how you're managing your business. But one of the, some people build a business that just, it traps them. And I see this actually a lot with flippers, right? Like wow. you've done so well to not get trapped in right. this, this position flippers get in They're Like, this is my income. This is how much money I make and I'm doing the work. And if I don't know how to get out of it and they just get sucked in and it holds them down. Right. But you've used leverage in a, in a really important way. And people view leverage as only capital, but it this is a perfect example of you. You've leveraged, first of all, your time, your relationships, 
and your structure, your processes and systems. Right. And now you're doing multifamily office buildings, right? Yeah. But you still got your base and it's still growing. So yeah. it's easier said than done. But how do you get to a point where when you're in the business, you're looking around and you're doing your flips, right? They're making you good money. First of all, how'd you get the courage to go buy an office building, right? And how'd you put yourself into a position where you could move into other categories like that? Yeah, I think just, you know, you have to get really good at the one thing you're doing. And then you have to build on top of that. So I wasn't a real estate broker when I first became an investor. And that was by choice. And that was because I wanted to get really good at flipping homes and not get distracted by generating income in other ways, like being a real estate broker. But the minute I became a broker, I just started generating massive amounts of income without even having to work for it because of just my prior experience and people's belief that I could do something for them. Um, and so like I, I've sold about $30 million in real estate over the last two or three years. And it's not by advertising it. People know me as an investor. They don't even know me as a real estate broker. Yeah. I didn't even um, know you were. See, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, it just, it's a part of the business that I just love um, negotiating. And I was like, okay, let me just add this other like income stream. Then I started to acquire rental properties um, because I met with an incredible person, Thatch Wen. And Thatch was like, hold everything you buy. Try not to sell anything. And when I looked at it from his perspective, I was like, man, that's such good advice. And so I started looking at deals kind of differently where they weren't just conducive to a fix and flip, but they would also work as a burr rental property. And in my Seattle market, like it's expensive to hold rental properties, but most of the units that I own, actually 100% of the units that I own are in the Seattle market and they're expensive, but I get to grow my net worth mm -hmm. through my rental portfolio. Um, and then through all this, what I do, the, the, the main thing is like, you have to keep growing. And I said, okay, the last property I sold and I made a really good profit on, I was like, I'm not going to spend any of this money, not even on a Jimmy Choo, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I I'm going to go. I know you would have, you would have. <laughs> um, but I was like, you know, I have to go out and get into an asset class that because I'm coming in with so much capital, it's less risky. And so I was like, okay, let me take a risk with this with this capital. And that's why I ended up, okay, so I bought this office building though for just under 2 million and it appraised for 2.6 wow. as is. And I was like, oh my God, this is such a good buy. Yeah. And so you know, I was really excited about it. That's absolutely amazing. I think, you know, yeah. too, you mentioned all of these pieces that go into it and it can be hard for, I think even starting out, I'm sure you didn't exactly know where you were going. It's not like you said, Oh, and this year I'm going to buy an office building and this, and this is how I'm going to do it. Um, I'm sure right. it wasn't that clear to you when you were trying to buy that first fix and flip, right? No, not at all. Like I was just like, I just don't want to go back to my W2. Like, I don't want to go back to writing purchase orders at Nordstrom. Like, that's just not why I want to go this direction. Mm -hmm. You know, it, I just, it, it's hard to explain to people because even when I look back, right, you know, the first time that I even saw a storage facility or walked in, right, it was, yeah. it, frankly, it, 
just being totally honest, it was kind of below me. I'm like, I do yeah. corporate insurance sales, yeah. right? I, I, I'm managing, you know, millions of dollars for these corporate thing. Like, you know, I, I wear my suit suit to work and, you know, it's like, I'm like, this is a junkyard. Like, I'm right. like, okay, we'll do this, you know, we'll buy some stuff on the side, but it, it was like, that's not who I'm going to be. That's not what I'm even necessarily going to be, right? Um, but I think the difference, though, with a lot of people is we we took advantage. The opportunity was there. And so mm-hmm. we took advantage, even though we couldn't see the end result, right? right? There is no way that me, my dad, my family, anybody else could ever imagine that what we would be doing yeah. would be self-storage. Now, with that, too, I don't think we could have imagined the wealth and everything that it would have created. Um, but you got to you gotta move. You got to go forward. And you got to take right. advantage of those opportunities. And you look at what you did, too. You, you talked about all these little things. You increased yeah. your income. You increased your wealth, right? Yeah. You started. And then other opportunities came up that you didn't even think about. And all of a right. sudden, you're buying a building and you're adding seven hundred plus thousand dollars of uh, of wealth like that, just like, like that. with a contract. Yeah. Right, exactly. And that's what's like so fascinating too is I feel like with real estate, there is no roadmap. There's no one to say you have to go down this path, which is so fascinating for me. It's like you you know you can do anything you want. There's no right. There's no wrong. The only thing wrong is if you're sitting back and not doing anything, not taking advantage, not making that first step. Um, but you know, if you have the courage to do that, which is why I'm so glad that I met all of you. And like, I have this incredible group of friends in all of us, you know, the Maui gang. And yep. um, I feel like we also feed off of each other. And like yes. you doing well makes me want to kick butt even harder. Yes. And so I just feel like I, I've learned and grown so much because of just the people that I've chosen to sur- surround myself with. Yeah. Circumstances dictate everything. I, I'm I'm 100% convinced on that. I think that was, for me, the, the side effect of insurance that I didn't realize was that right. I was dealing with C-suites 24-7, all day long. Yeah. I was I was in there, people talking about their businesses. It was CFOs managing. I'm seeing what was going on. And this was during like the recession. So when right. everything tanked, they were like, hey, we this is happening. This, and I'm just sitting there observing as a you know 25-year-old as all these companies are going bankrupt. And wow. it was all of a sudden it just like you're in a different room. You're hearing different conversations, yeah. you're playing a different game. And the moment you start doing that, you start to see different realities and different opportunities and different options. I mean, that's why I I do the podcast, right? I'm sure that's why you do your meetups, everything else. You're you're meeting people, you're learning, right? And you're seeing different worlds that you didn't know existed. But until you put yourself in those situations with those people, like you don't know that it, you don't know that it's there. You don't know that you're able to do it. You are 100% right. 100% right. It's, so much of what you put in is what you get out. Yes. So much of that. So I 100% agree. Like I have had to really push the boundaries for myself. Um, When I moved to the country, I didn't know what a nickel was from a dime to a cent. I learned from there. Like, you know, I didn't know the currency. It was the first time I was coming to America. And so like, just, you know, for me to get out of my comfort zone over and over and over and over again, I think that's what led to a lot of the successes that I've seen 
is I was able to put myself in that position. I was able to come to that Maui mastermind and like hang out with all of you. Um, and, and like, again, push myself, you know, way out of anything I had previously done. Um, so take chances. That's all I, you know, that's all I can say is like, take massive chances because this is the land of opportunity. That's, it's kind of mind blowing to think about that. It really is. Like to think about you come over not knowing anything and now you're buying office buildings and buildings. downtowns and apartment buildings. It's, it's, it's amazing. It's so cool. It's so cool. And, you know, I think we find and maybe that was your huge advantage was that you were coming, you didn't know. So you were comfortable not knowing and right. you're comfortable being out of your comfort zone. Like that was the new normal for you. Right. Right. Because I think so much of us, so many of us were trapped within our own comfort, our own idea of what needs to be or how it needs to be. Exactly. And I think the other thing, too, is a lot of people are, it's sad, but they do have the golden handcuffs. They mm -hmm. do get paid an incredibly large amount in their jobs that it's super hard for them to leave that and go do something that may not pay them as much for the first few years. Um, so like, how do you give up a lucrative salary in a really good company and go like, you know, go fix up a home or buy a self storage facility without not knowing what's to come. Um, for me, I had no such hangups because I didn't get paid too well. I worked so hard to make someone else rich. And so I was like, okay, what is the worst that can happen? Right? Like I'll come back to this and that's fine. Um, at least I went out and I have no regrets. I think a lot of people suffer from that though. Well, I mean, I did. It took me being fully paralyzed to stop working. Yeah. I mean, I was working right. for a multi-billion dollar company. They paid me good money. And right. it was um, like, and, and two also, it was weird that it, like, I think work and I think what we do becomes an identity. And so yeah. it was also a comfort level of this is who I am. And if I'm not this, yeah. then what am I? What am I? Exactly. And so I wouldn't leave. I We yeah. stayed there. And, you know, after I was paralyzed, then it became the op option. Do I go back or yeah. do I not? And so like for you, you were driven out of your comfort zone because you went to a totally new country. Like right. For me, I was forced out of mine because I was let go in the hospital. Right. And then it was, okay, well, now I have the opportunity to look at different options and exactly. say, maybe I'll create something different. Yeah. And it's not that it's not painful. I mean, you, you didn't make money on your first deal. No, no, it's not. It, it's not like it wasn't painful. I mean, it's not like it's not painful today. Right. Yeah. I'm still waking up and putting out like five fires. Yeah. I'm actually heading yep. to my office building now. Um, to go work on a bunch of stuff. I've been working on permits on deals for years now and I haven't seen them come through. So it's not like it's still pain, not painful, but at the same time, since you've dealt with so much pain, you kind of get numb to it. Yeah. You kind of welcome it. Yeah. So that more problems to solve and you then feel even better about yourself. Yeah. No, I like I always tell people we make money because we solve big problems. Um, That's right. So exactly right. We're, we're tackling buildings and things that people don't know what to do with. And 
no one wants to, no one else wants to do. Yeah. And nobody else wants to do it. And that's where the money always is. I mean, it really is. It's, it's, it's solving pain. If you don't want to have any pain points or any problems or anything else like that, you want your life to be super easy, then you're going to get a W-2, but that also means you're forfeiting control over your life. So no problems means no control. I mean, they're directly correlated. And I think problems bothered me a lot more. Like you said, you were numb to it. It's just like, maybe it's the idea that this is just part of it, so it doesn't really matter. And that too, I think it's a confidence thing where you know it's part of the game and you're going to overcome it. Yeah. Right. I'm a good problem solver. I've got this, right? Yeah. And exactly. I think that, you know, that is who, when I, when, if you're investing in somebody, I don't want to invest with somebody that hasn't had problems, right? Like if, if their life's been perfect and they've just had, you know, whatever it is, you're going, well, what are you going to do when there is a problem? Because it's not that problems don't happen. They do. They're going to 100% guaranteed. So what's going to happen when they arise? 100%. Couldn't agree more. Um, And honestly, like those are the kinds of people that I look to work with too. People that have been able to solve problems. People that came from adversity. Because I feel like those people have a different kind of hunger in them. And a different kind of, you know, ability to slay big dragons. That um, they just bring a different work ethic. Yeah. I, yeah, a hundred percent. It's, there's a total different, like mentality of those people, right? They're doing things for different reasons. Most really successful people that I know, it's really not about the money. They're gonna be drivers. They're, it doesn't matter, right? Like it's, if it was about the money, they would have stopped because they they have enough. Or gone in a different direction. Yeah. Or gone in a different direction. It's yeah. not about the money. It's it's about progress. It's about drive. It's about tackling and making things better and moving forward. And those, you know, it kind of comes down to two. Like you always worry about the Wall Street suits, right? Yeah. Like, oh, you went to Harvard. Now you're in Wall Street and you're taking money. But those people are money allocators, but they don't really do anything. It's they're getting either if they're doing investments, it's some other company, a third-party management system, right? They're just shifting dollars around on a screen and they miss, first of all, the opportunity. They they don't see the opportunity because they don't even understand it. But two, when there's problems, when things go down, the answer is the sell button and that's it. They can't solve those problems. Yeah, you know, you said something so profound. Um, At some point, it stops being about the money and it just becomes more about something else, more about proving to yourself every day that you are bigger than this. Like you can go take on things that are even bigger than the last deal you crushed. I had two crazy days this year um, when I made like half a million dollars each. And it was just from profits and like large sales. And honestly, like, I didn't feel like celebrating. I was like, okay, this is just another day. And what that also does is when I see a lot of pain in the business, it doesn't phase me either. I'm like, this this too shall pass, right? It's more about, okay, what exciting thing can I do tomorrow that's going to excite me? You know, to wake up every day and like, go crush this. I, I am so much, like, I have a hard time celebrating things. Yeah. 
it's like when uh, I remember when um, when I when I became a millionaire and I went home because I had to file something to give to the bank or something like that. So they uh-huh. needed they needed uh, financial stuff, and I was like, oh. I'm a millionaire, right? And I went home and I told my wife, she's I was like, hey, you know, we, we're millionaires. And she was like, great. So what do you want to do for dinner? And I was like, oh, this. And we put kids to bed, things like that. And honestly, it was kind of a letdown. Yeah. I was like, well, that's not, you know, whatever. That's not that big of a deal. And it it's always the next thing. It's always growing. It's always building because that's the fun. The fun is in the process. The fun is doing it. It's the solving the problem. So once it's gone or once it's done, it's like, well, now what are we going to do? Exactly. It's like the hunger, the hunger inside you. hundred percent. And I even think about that because, you know, this year we were growing. We had, I lost on a couple deals and it seems like it was one of those times where it's just like, geez, we're working our brains out. And I, and I feel like I'm not going in really anywhere, which is really frustrating when you're motivated by progress, right? When that's the motivator. And, you know, it got to a point where it's like, you know, why am I doing this? Why do I work so flipping hard? And it was just for one second. And then I immediately came back in because it's, and it was just like, because that's what you do. Like there, what else would you do, AJ? Like, what else are you going to do? Right. Yeah. Like, yeah, you're just gonna go sit my ties. Like that sounds so boring to me, being boring. on the beach, like I doing know. nothing. So I was like, oh yeah, well, exactly. let's just keep going. <laughs> let's just keep going. Exactly. <gasps> I think that's why we're great friends because we have really the same mindset, yeah. and it's hard to find people that are the same at the same wavelength. It's really hard. Like you know, sometimes people think you're bragging. Sometimes yeah. people think you're overdriven. Sometimes people think that all you do is work. You don't have a life. But you and I know that, you know, we're so much more than all of that. And work gives us just pure and ultimate joy. And that's why we do it. Well, I love people like, well, all you do is work and don't have a life. I get no work is my life. You're giving up your life life. to earn a weekend. (laughs) Exactly. That's crazy to me. I'm okay. building my life. I'm, and I love it. Yeah. Like, like I tell people, I don't believe in work life balance. I'm like, I just have my life. I just do what I do. Right. right. Like I want my kids involved in things. And when we play, we play hard. Right. And very hard. And very I go on trips for, and 10, days for 10 days straight and we have fun. And it's like, it's all one though. It's not, right. there's not this separation. My kids are know exactly yeah. what I do. Oh, I, I should have showed this. Atlas drew a picture uh, for school and he was like, what, what do you want to do when you get older? And he drew a picture. Oh, here it is. And a school thing. And it's like, what do you want to do? And he drew a picture of a storage facility <laughs> and he put himself oh, in it. And he says Keylock storage on the side. And that- he's like, I want to do work with my dad. And it was like, you know what? Oh. I brainwashed him. Done. That- Successful. (laughs) That's like what I want to inculcate in my kids, you know, is to like they can do whatever they want. Yeah, whatever. I don't care. Whatever they want. But like just educate them on financial freedom and, you know, and then like let them lose and they can do whatever they want. Well, it's about empowerment. It's about setting them up so they can create and be successful. Like you have, right? 
And it's like once you see it, you can't unsee it. Unsee it. Exactly right. (laughs) So where are you going from here now? Now, you you know, you're off doing crazy things. What are your goals? What do you see in the future? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I want to do bigger and larger deals. I want to keep growing on basically the foundation that I built, Um, whether that's buying larger multifamily, whether that's, you know, investing in a different asset class. I don't know, but all I know is that I'm going to continue to grow and add to the skill sets that I have. Um, I just, I see, I see so many cool things that we could be doing, you know, giving back to the community is a huge thing for me. So um, if I can find my way to do that in, in way of, you know, I don't know, by building assisted living or by building affordable housing, that is something that is so near and dear to my heart. So that's, you know, something that I want to focus on. I love that. Um, are you, uh, you know, along that, it's just you, your work, you know, you're, turn, you're turning your abilities in your passions. And because you work so hard, your ability to help and follow those passions that are not just either play or something like that, you've essentially grown yourself to do the things that everybody's like, well, if I had all this money, I would, you know, I would solve world hunger or do something like that. Right. And whenever anybody says that immediately, I'm like, oh, well, you'll never do that. Right. Because that's not how it works. It's like, you know, you're never going to ever solve any big problems. And because you learn how to solve big problems by all the things that you've talked about, all the things that are growing. So those skill set that you've created within yourself, your network, your abilities, you can then turn it and use those things to actually solve problems, to actually figure yeah. out the way that outcomes could turn out different for other people, the way that you can create sustainable, sustainable, long-lasting challenges. And I don't think that people right. realize that that's what successful people do. They solve problems. And that is the most important skill set that we as humans can have. Mm-hmm. And it's a skill set that is created. It's just not given. You just, it's not given. you got to no. create it. You got to learn, right? Exactly right. Yeah. Now, what, we're in a weird time. Okay. Like, a, like it's a weird time in the world right now. What are you yeah. seeing in the future? What are your worries? You're in the Seattle market. You're all mm-hmm. over the place. You have a huge network. Um, what are your concerns when you're looking out for investing into next year and moving forward? What are you worried about or what are you doing to position yourself? You know, I think the things that excite me is just how in how we can use tech to empower ourselves, our businesses. Um, and that's really very exciting for me. But what tech also does is it wipes out a lot of personnel. And so it's about, okay, how do we create new kinds of jobs to replace the ones that we have today? Um, as we saw during COVID, there were so many jobs that were wiped out because we realized that ultimately we don't need them. And that was just like a shocking realization across the world. So like, what kind of jobs are there to create that can empower people in a way that it hasn't in the past? Um, I, and I'm really excited to like see what, what happens there. In terms of just investing and in my local market, um, land is such a large commodity that is so scarce that everybody needs 
and we don't have we can't produce land yeah. and so it's becoming really challenging it's becoming a very doggy dog market um like think you know we're still getting 30 40 offers on single family homes and apartment buildings are always rented and um to counter that there's eviction laws and you know it's like how do we find a balance with all of this how do we you know make this so that the scale is more evenly balanced than tipped towards one side mm-hmm. um i don't know that might just it just might sound a little profound but it's things that keep me up at night i'm like i don't know you know it's, it's kind of no, scary I, I i i love that you know it's funny you even bring that up because our, our staff, we were having a discussion this morning. Uh, there was a group of us that were in really early this morning and we we're just getting stuff done. And we, they were talking about jobs and mm-hmm. the transformation and technology. Cause I've invested heavily into tech that will allow automation and we view can help us, um, reduce staff levels by, um, we, so right now we're running at per location about, um, two probably employees on average in our new locations to three. We think we can cut like a half of employee per location. Wow. And it's, and it's not like, a, like some people are like, Oh yeah, you're trying to either save money. No, I have nothing to do with money. In fact, the half a person, we will allocate the funds to another Thank person to get a higher paid person that can do more right. with the tech, right. right. Then right. Right. we can create reliability. So one of the things right. we're seeing now, like you said, it, like staff paying people, I mean, it's an, to say it's a nightmare right now is an understatement. And, you know, I don't know what the minimum wage is, but we don't have anything under $20 an hour, nothing. Mm -hmm. And I live in Boise, Idaho, and there's nothing that we do under $20 an hour. Like it's, it's, you know, we pay high amounts, you have benefits, everything else all all involved. So it's not about not paying working wages, anything else like that. Um, But we can't, it's hard to find good people. And for us, we're like, this is scary because our job is dependent on action. So we need technology to help us move away from the dependency on unreliable labor. Right. And I think so many people have woken up to, to in COVID when the government says nobody can go outside. How do we run our business? Right. What happens? Right. And what, happens? what happens to all the ploys then get dispersed? And yeah. we're trying to figure out more and more ways to not be reliant on human capital. It's it's a big, interesting question. Yeah, and it'd be one to follow, I think, and just um, see what happens there. Yeah. Like you said, you and I can't solve that, but no. it'd be interesting to see where, you know, where we go with that. Well, and two, you know, a lot of people, I, I, as I think about a lot of these questions, I have a lot that I want to do um, yeah. environmentally, things like that, you know. But the idea is as I we figure out these questions, we start looking for solutions. Then as you start seeing solutions, more people that ask it, more solutions are found, the more that people can get involved, right? Exactly. To take the good ideas and project them forward, which Love is just that. so cool. Well, so- all right. So we've talked about what you, you, you know, you're talking about tech powered solutions, um, job transformations, this problem with land and what's going on there. Um, what do you think as far as the real estate market? Do you think next year, do you think it's going to stay strong? Are you seeing cracks or weaknesses in the market at all? I think, you know, 
I think it's going to still stay strong as long as interest rates are low. Um, we People need homes. People are still moving into my market like every week. There's jobs being created. There's buildings being built. So we know that, you know, people are going to need real estate. So I think um, in every asset class, we're going to need more inventory. And I think it's just going to stay strong. Um, and unless something like really tips the scale on um, interest rates or like a bill that gets passed, um, I don't know. I think we're still going to see a pretty strong market at least till next year. Yeah, um, we same boat. It's you know. right. I mean, I was in Boise. I couldn't find a single Airbnb. Remember? Yeah, yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy. So, yeah, there's and just nowhere to house people. No, and they're flooding people. in, and yeah. it's. I mean, we, we're at a all-time low of inventory. Now, people that are thinking, oh, yeah, but, you know, that's how it was in 2005, 6, 7. No, there was nobody living in the houses. People were buying them and speculating and, think, like, they weren't occupied. Right now, people can't buy homes to live in. There's live multiple there. families living out of the same home. I mean, it's, it's we don't, they literally don't have a place to live. They're buying to live, not to invest. And right. that is a very different problem. And I don't know about where you live, but the builders, they're not building to keep up with it. They're, it's not. No, we, we can't. There's like no land to buy to build. Uh. Like I was just talking to another friend of mine here who uh, typically builds single family homes in like the core Seattle markets. And they were like, no, we can't find land to build. So now we're going into like the more, you know, um, suburban, like, boondocks like because yeah. because they can't find anything in the core markets and then your cities are just becoming that much larger yeah yeah no that's i mean as real estate investors and everything that's good for us it's for us, it's good for, us for sure yeah it's all good and we'll keep going well where yeah. can people find you where can people go learn more about you where, where should we tell people to go i mean you you can tell them about what you're doing um, you, you, I love your meetups you host. They're awesome. Amazing. You've had incredible guests on there. And I'm not talking about me, even though I was a guest, but I, I'm not, I mean, you've had like Brandon Turner, you've had great, amazing people yeah. on there. Um, so talk about that for a minute. Yeah. You know, so I started hosting these meetups in person back in Seattle about three years ago, almost four now. And once COVID happened, we went, um, virtual. And so now what that enables us to do is bring on some incredible speakers. So yes, I've had Ken McElroy, I've had Matt Onofrio, I've had Ryan yes. Pineda, and awesome. you know my most recent guest was you, and you were absolutely amazing, inspiring. So just like thought leaders, uh, entrepreneurs in the real estate space, um, and we want to basically show everyone that people go through life-changing, life-altering situations like you did, um, to come out of it and do some amazing things. And the the plane is really level for everybody when they're starting out. And it's really what you do with it that makes a difference. Um, so it's been great. We also do a lot of networking at the end of the meetup. So we network in breakout rooms. I've seen amazing deals happen in front of my eyes at my meetups. Um, just people connecting with people from across the country that they would have never seen otherwise. So it's just a really good place to network for real estate investors. Uh, you can find all the information on either my Instagram or my LinkedIn. So go follow me on those two platforms. We can put my the website. links in too. Yeah, perfect. And then my website is rehabathomes.com. And you can also send me an email that way. 
you know, the thing I, I like about the meetups too, we're doing this podcast, of course, um, yeah. we're recording it, everything, like that, but your meetups are interactive. Like yeah. that was, yeah. I, I loved that. I mean, I'm seeing people's questions. They're talking, they're, it, it, so it's like you, you, it's like you're on a podcast with us right now, but yet you have total access to Lake and you can go and you just say, Hey, what it's, I love it. I think it's really cool. And yeah. especially for people that are looking to do deals, get into the market stuff. It's one thing to take education in the form of the podcast. I'm not bashing on my own podcast here, but it's a whole nother thing to take it to a next next level where you can actually talk to the audience that is also interested in the same thing as well as you and your guest speaker. Really cool, cool format. I love what you've done with it. You know, that's so true because like you are a busy man, right? Mm -hmm. So like if I can offer you up to my audience for an hour and they can ask them, ask you whatever questions they want and, you know, maybe make a connection, maybe make an impression on you. Yeah. Um, that is what I want to do for my audience. Like I want them to be there. I want them to raise their hand and ask you good questions and like really see you and feel you because it's yes. like the next best thing to actually meeting you in person. Yes. Um, so you're absolutely right. No, that was it's point. fantastic. Everybody got to go check it out. We'll put all the links in the show notes below. And as always, Thanks for coming on. Thanks for chatting. I love having you here. I love talking with you. I could just do it all day. Me too. Thank you for having me. For sure. Talk soon. Okay, bye.